Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Walk in Grace series, which goes through Ephesians 2 through 5. We hope that this message will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God has used it in your life. Well, this morning, let's take our Bibles and let's go to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians in chapter number 5 this morning. Did I just say tonight? Okay, in my head I said tonight. Uh, the Ephesians chapter number five uh, this morning. And uh, if you've been with us, we've been in a study in the book of Ephesians and really actually three studies. So the very first one we talked about uh, is the study rich in grace and the phrasing rich in grace, rich in strength. Man, the whole book of Ephesians is about the truth that God never, listen, God never runs out of grace and strength in your life and mine. Aren't you thankful that you never hit a point that God says, oh, I'm sorry, I can't help you with that? Aren't you thankful that never happens? Man, God, you never hit a point where God says, I'm sorry, I can't help you through that. No, God is rich in grace. That was the first series we walked through in the book of Ephesians. And then the second one that we've been going through is just the idea to walk in grace, to understand that God wants us to be strengthened by him. God wants every situation in our life, he wants us to lean on him and to understand that he can help us and that he wants to help us. He wants us to walk in grace or be strengthened by him. And we'll start a brand new series in a couple of weeks called Being Strong in Grace. But most recently in our series, we came to a topic of something that a lot of religions and a lot of churches kind of get confused, and it's the topic of the Holy Spirit of God at work in our life. You see, the truth is that when a person puts their faith and their trust in Jesus, The Bible says that when we do that, at that moment, God moves in. God moves in into our lives. Romans chapter five and verse number nine. I don't know what just happened. Everything's wigging out today. Did anybody else notice Brian's guitar string broke while he was playing? That's what happened today. When we trust Christ as Savior, God moves in. The Bible says it this way. If any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. When we receive Jesus into our life, God moves into us and God desires to use his spirit. The Bible says it this way in John chapter 16, that when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide us into all truth. We explained this thought last week that you know what God wants to do? God wants to help you make decisions in life. He wants to help you make decisions in life. And the fact of the matter is this, that God, he created life. He's the designer of it. And so we have to know that the decisions that God wants to help us make are probably the better decisions than we want to make. Be honest. How many of you would admit that there's been, you know, at least one decision, at least one that you've made in your life that you wish you had not made? Yeah. Okay, good. Raise your, if, if your hand's raised, uh, then you're telling the truth. If it's not, you probably just aren't going to raise your hand for anything. And that's fine. Man, we all need and we all want God to direct our decisions. And last week, we just learned the simple truth that God wants to use his Holy Spirit within us to help direct those decisions. He wants us to, the phrase, he wants us to surrender to the Spirit or yield to the Spirit of God. 
And so last week, we understood that when we listen to the voice of God, when we allow God to direct our decisions, that we will have a focus upon God. No matter what our decision, no matter what uh, trials come or situations come, we'll be able just to say, God, I'm focused on you. My heart is set on you. We noticed last week that when we allow God to lead our life, that we're a more grateful person. We are grateful to God. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 20 that we can give thanks in all things, but it's impossible to give thanks in all things without the help of God. Because I don't know about you, but I don't give thanks when someone I love passes away. That's not the instant inclination. Oh yeah, man, thank you. I don't, I, don't, I don't know about you, but there's times in my life when it's been hard to give thanks in a challenging situation, and yet the Bible tells us that that's something God can help us with. God can help us be thankful even in the hard times. And then when we're yielded to the Spirit of God, when we're allowing God to work in us, when we're listening to the voice of God, we learned about the fact that we'll have a submissive spirit. We'll be able to submit. What is that word? It means to defer Someone who is listening to the voice of God, you don't know what happens in their life and their relationships, they don't always have to be right. I'm able, to, I'm able to defer to somebody else every now and then. And this week, we're gonna kind of jump back into our series. We're gonna kind of piggyback onto some thoughts from last week and make it all connect. But before we kind of get into the message this morning, I just wanna ask you a, a question I wonder if you've ever noticed how a single decision can radically change something. One single decision can radically change something. I thought of this illustration that came up in our family this last week. My mom and I were talking about my dad. Of course, if you don't know, my dad passed away back in October. But my dad, real early on, my dad had a beard all growing up. All growing up, my dad had a big, thick, nice beard until I was like six years old. So I, at six years old, I had never seen my dad without a beard, ever. And we were on vacation. We were in Estes Park, Colorado. And dad went into the bathroom and he was in there for a while. And he came out. And when he came out, my mom, she just looked at him. I was five or six years old. She just looked at my dad and she went, Danny. My sisters, they both looked at my dad and one sister started started crying going, Daddy, why? The other sister, the one who sucks up all the time, uh, she was like, Dad, I love it. (laughs) Well, me... I didn't know who it was. No lie. I ran up and I started punching him. Started hitting him going, where's my daddy? You know, and I started beating. I mean, I started hitting him hard. He came down. He's like, Dennis, it's me, bud. And I'm like, no, it's not. You know, my mom can tell you the story. Five-year-old Dennis, like punching his dad as hard as he possibly could to my dad finally had to like wrap me up and like look me in the eyes. Dennis, calm down. I mean, I was sobbing. I was like, what did you do? My dad went in the bathroom and some weird person came out, you know? I mean, you were weird to begin with, but no, I'm just teasing. And he came, he came out and I looked at him and I remember, man, just that one little decision, his one decision to shave 
that radically changed everything. Maybe you have a spouse like Hannah is to me. How many of you are, um, no, no, I'll just tell you. So Hannah does this thing. Whenever I leave and I'm gone for a few days, she has this inclination to do things in the house, like projects. So a few months ago, I was gone, came back, walked in the house, and I was like, it's totally different in here. What I, what I didn't realize, she had only done one thing. She had painted one wall. That's all she had done. But to me, it was a totally different room. Pastor, what are you getting at? Just the thought that one decision, listen, one single decision can radically change a lot of things. That's what we're gonna be able to see this morning from scripture that one decision, listen, one single decision that you and I make over and over and over again, it can radically change so many areas of our life. I want you to notice what that one decision is with me this morning. Let's pick up in our study, Ephesians chapter five, and just one verse to start this morning, Ephesians chapter five and verse number 18. Ephesians chapter five and verse number 18, the word of God says this, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the spirit. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the spirit. Last week, we understood from this verse that this verse, the first part, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, it's talking about being controlled by alcohol. Now, the verse, the, the context that Paul is trying to get to, he's not trying to write about the subject of alcohol. He's using an illustration. And the illustration that's he, that he's using is in life, we have a decision to be controlled by certain things. And he uses the illustration of alcohol saying that can lead to excess. That phrase is rioting. I don't know too many people that have gotten very, uh, very drunk and woke up and thought, man, that was a great decision. That's what Paul is writing about. But again, that's not the context. He's trying to write about being filled with the Spirit. Basically, the idea is this. Don't go through life being controlled by a lot of other things, whether that be some sort of substance or your own decisions, your own heart. No, instead, make a decision, a single decision to go through life and be filled, controlled by, yielded to the Holy Spirit of God who's within you. And as Paul writes about this, he writes about a number of areas that radically change when we make that single decision. And so this morning, we're going to be challenged in the, this single decision every day, every day, choosing to listen to the God within us rather than the culture around us. Every day, choosing to listen to the God within us rather than the culture without us. Let's pray and ask God to speak to our hearts with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Would you take a minute and just in the quietness of your own heart, would you ask God, God, please speak to me today. God, please speak to me. And then would you make the decision, God, if you speak to me, I'm going to listen to you. God, if you speak to me, I'm going to listen
Dear Lord, we just come before you today and we thank you, God, for your love and your care for us. And Father, we want to come and we want to ask you today that you would help us. We want to pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand your word. And Father, I want to pray that as we go through the service today, God, that you would just help us to hear from you. And uh, God, we pray that if there's anyone that's with us today that does not know that heaven is where they would spend eternity, I pray, God, that you'd help them to make that decision. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The single decision that we're talking about today is to allow God to be the one that we listen to, to allow his Holy Spirit and his word to work in our life and understand that he will radically change some areas. The first area that I see in scripture that God will radically change that that Paul writes about in this passage is this fact, that if we yield to God, he radically changes my marriage. God can radically transform the marriage. Notice the passage. We're going to read a, a section of verses here. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, or verse 21, down through verse number 33. Paul writes these words Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself, for no man ever yet... excuse me, hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it. Even as the Lord, the church, for we are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. And for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Now, I don't know if you caught a lot of that, but there's mainly just a couple of topics in this passage that Paul writes to. And this morning, I recognize that not everybody in here is married, and there's some that uh, maybe a spouse has passed away, others that are looking forward to marriage. But I think there's some great principles that we all can learn about the fact that when we allow God, listen, when we allow God to lead our lives, he can change a marriage. Those of you that are married, I don't know if you've got this yet. I don't, I don't know if you've noticed this yet. But marriage is challenging. I mean, just a little bit, right? Just a little challenging. Marriage can be challenging. And the fact of the matter is that without the help of God, without the help of God, you know what we do? We fall short all the time. Some of you wives are tapping your husband right now. Don't do that yet. Wait. There's a couple of areas that Paul writes about in this passage, and they're really commands given into marriage, and without the help of God, we're going to fail at these commands. One of them is the word submission. The word submission, we briefly spoke about this last week. 
But first, we see the instruction in verse number 21. We read this last week where it says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And we understand that uh, submissiveness in, a, in any relationship is that, that law of deference, to prefer others or to defer to others. That's basically the idea that I don't always have to be right. I don't always have to get the last word in. I don't always have to be heard. I can actually defer. But Then in this instance, we read some specific instructions given to the wives. It's the word submission. Wives are to submit to their husbands. This literally means to place themselves under the leadership of. But I want to tell you this something about this passage this morning. We have to understand that this passage is not about superiority or inferiority. Our culture says that if a wife submits to her husband, she is of less value or less value. Uh, she's not as valuable or she is inferior. Our culture says that, uh, you know, that's not the way it should be. No, you need to have stand your ground. But we have to understand that the Bible teaches submission. Now, why does God teach submission? I love how one man put it. He said, we must not think of submission as subjugation. No, the fact that the woman is to submit to her husband does not suggest that the man is better than the woman. And all the ladies said? Instead, it speaks to the fact that he, that the man, that's what it's supposed to say, that the man has the leadership of headship or responsibility of headship and leadership in the home. Do you know really what submission speaks to? Listen, men, uh, I know a lot of guys that want to come to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25 down through 33 or 22 down through 33, and they want to say, see, honey, I'm the boss. What I said, go. You know, you follow me. It's my way or the highway. And that's (laughs) George helping me out this morning. And listen, that is not, that is not God's way. Hey, that is, that is not God's way. No, we have to understand that when you look at the idea of submission, when you look at the idea of coming under, what God is writing about is really, he, I think, while these verses are written to the wives, I think husbands can learn a lot from this. Hey, men, you need to be worth following. There's some men that just aren't worth following. And this, this passage can be super challenging both to the wives and to the husbands, but the idea is not that the husband fires out orders and the wife must obey. No, the idea is that the wife has a spirit of submissiveness and deference because the husband has a spirit of godly leadership. You see, the wife's role does not speak of the wife's worth, and this role does not speak of worth. I mean, as a, as a husband, I will tell you that Hannah is so much better than me in so many areas, and there's times when God has used her to help me make decisions, but the idea of the passage is, hey, if you are going to experience the marriage that God wants you to, then we have to recognize the roles that God has for us. Men, you lead. Wives, you are to follow. That submission is to be to to your own husband, that, fa- that, that phrase, uh, own husband here emphasizes the idea that he belongs to you, he is yours, and you are his, and so there's a submission that takes place, and it says there that we submit, wives, you submit as you would to the Lord. Man, that's challenging, isn't it? I'm, I'm not a lady. I don't know what this uh, necessarily means personally, but I know from my wife, there's times when she's like, you know you're not very easy to submit to. 
And I'm glad she's honest with me. You know what? Marriage is, marriage is challenging. And this, this command from the Lord, the idea of submission in a marriage, hey, it's, it's a challenge that without God, we, we can't do. But you do it, you submit as you would unto the Lord. Now, before the ladies kind of think pastor's picking on them this morning, I'm not because the next part is written to the men. Husbands, you're supposed to love your wife. But here's what it says. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself, completely sacrificed himself for it. You're supposed to love your spouse as Christ loved the church. Hey, men, can I tell you something? That is a big ask. That's a big request. Let me, let me walk through Christ's love toward us. Just a few principles that we have, and you can read them on the screen. Christ's love for you is unconditional. Did you know that this morning, that the love that Jesus had for the church is unconditional? It was something that uh, did not have conditions or prerequisites. Well, if you do this, then I will. No, no, no. God said, I mean, we just talked about it earlier, God so loved the world. Hey, his love for you is completely unconditional. His love for you is something that is not dependent upon what you do. So men... We're instructed to love unconditionally. It's not dependent upon what our wife does or doesn't do. Christ's love toward us is supposed to be unchanging. His love for you is consistent. Uh, We say the phrase here often, and many of us know it, that God will never love you any more or any less than he does right now. It's not performance-based. His love is, is unchanging. Men, our love to our spouse is supposed to be completely unchanging. Consistent, remains steady through the sunny days and the stormy days. Christ's love for the church was unselfish. He gave his life for it, literally laid his life down willingly. And a husband's love for his wife should be sacrificial. It should be selfless. Another thought here is that Christ's love toward us, it's not understood, you ever had somebody, I remember a few years ago, I had a couple that was in the office and I was telling them about the love of Jesus Christ and how God loves the entire world and gave himself for us. And, and the Bible says that if we would confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God hath raised him from the dead, that we would be saved. I was just telling them salvation, going through and speaking to them about how much God loves you and how salvation, eternity in heaven is free to everybody. And I'll never forget it. I'll never forget. She sat across the table from me, her husband right there, and she looked at me and she said, Dennis, that just doesn't make sense. That's too easy. Because Dennis, why wouldn't God require something of me? Man, hey, I don't know about you, but there's some days when I think about how God loves me and I don't understand it. There's some days I wake up and look in the mirror and I don't love me. I don't even like me. I'm like, I wish I could not be with you today. But here I am, stuck. You know what, men? Listen, the instruction, our love to our spouse is supposed to be like God's love toward us. And that's a, it's something that's not understandable. Men, it's something that 
It's okay for you to love your wife in such a way that people just don't understand your commitment to your wife. It's okay if your friends, listen, it's okay if your friends, they say, well, why don't you talk about what we talk about? Why don't you watch what we watch? Why don't you do what we do? Now the instruction, husbands, listen up here, husbands love your wives. Now for those of you that are married this morning, let me ask you this question, submission, love, how you doing? How you doing? Now if you look at this, I mean, I don't know about you, but these instructions, they are truly impossible without the help of God. They're truly impossible without God working, without God helping. So where's the application to us then, pastor? Well, it's this simple thought. Every day, if I will just have the mindset of God, I want you to help me today. God, I wanna follow your spirit. God, I want you to help my decisions today. God, help me as I respond to my spouse. God, help me. You know what God does? He radically changes our family. And those of you that know Christ as your savior, no doubt you can speak to both directions. You know the days when you said, all right, God, I'm gonna follow you. And you pillowed your head that night and you thought, man, what an awesome day. Like we didn't argue today. We, maybe if we did, we got, we got through it real quick as a peacemaker or whatever. And there's other days when you pillow your head and you think, ah, ah, I'm an idiot. Well, you don't have those days. I do. You know what? Listen, every one of us, we know. If you know Christ as your savior, if you've put your faith and your trust in him, then there's times in your life, you know, when you follow him, he radically changes your marriage. What else can he radically change? Well, he, Paul speaks to it. He radically changes my family. Did you know God not only wants to radically change a marriage, he wants to radically change the home, everything about it. Notice the verses, Ephesians chapter six, verse one, down through verse number four, we read these words. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You know what? God has a design for the home, and God's design for the home is that your home would be filled with peace. You know, God doesn't want homes where moms and dads and husbands and wives and, and parents and, and children just bicker and argue all the time. We had VBS this last week, and uh, of course, uh, you knew that. We announced it, and you can tell. Uh, but we had VBS, and we tell all of our workers, and I told our workers last week as we had our last workers meeting, as we began to uh, uh, finalize the plans and preparation, and I stood here, and we had about 50 workers, 55 workers, and I said to all of them, hey, listen, this week as you serve, we don't know what kind of homes every kid is coming from. So when they come here, we want them just to see God loves you. We want them to see and experience God's love. And I don't know the home you grew up in. I know the home I grew up, grew up in. I'm so thankful for godly parents that love me and help me. But I want us to understand that not everybody has that. But you know what? You can. You can have a peace-filled home. How, pastor? Well, when I begin following God's word and not mine, 
God brings peace into the home. Well, what's the instruction given in this passage? Well, a couple of things. One, we find that children, you're to obey your parents. And all the teens and kids went, ugh. (laughs) And all of you who are now parents, remember when you were a kid and you tell your teenager all the time, I've been there. But the instruction here, obey your parents, has to do, the word obey, it means to listen to, to hark to, to submit to. Now, I recognize this morning, most of our kids are downstairs learning Bible truths to help them with this as well. But there's a few kids and teens in here today. Teenager, I just want to encourage you that God desires to bless your life as you obey and follow the Lord by obey and follow, obeying and following your parents. This means that children would obey the voice of their parents just as they would the voice of God, even though, even though your parents may not know everything like you do. (laughs) And those of you laughing like you did when you were a teenager. My mom grew up, uh, of course, her stepdad raised her and his name was Gordon. We called him Daddy Doe. Daddy Doe and Mama, Mama and Daddy Doe. Guess what their parents, grandparents' names were? Mama, other mama, or other ma, and other pa. We're very creative in our family. Mama, Daddy Doe, other ma, and other pa. That's it. I don't know what the generation above them was, okay? But I remember stories of my, my grandfather, Daddy Doe, telling of my mom and of her sister, Aunt Sissy, and uh, see, yeah. again, very creative. Uncle Bubber, brother, they couldn't say brother, it just became an Uncle Bubber. Ask me later for all the rest of the nicknames. Anyway, I remember these stories of, of Daddy Doe saying to my mom, he called her Juju Bug. I'm, I'm sorry, now all the nicknames are just coming. And he would say, you know, Juju Bug, I remember when you. And he'd tell some story when she was a teenager and she'd be like, well, she'd call, Dad, Daddy Doe, I, I know, I know, I know this, I know that. And those of you that are in your 60s, 70s, and 80s, you can remember back to when you were a teenager. And now, listen, right now, a lot of the uh, older generation looked at the younger generation and think, man, these pride-filled little ignorant kids, don't they know? But your generation was pride-filled and ignorant too. So don't condemn the younger generation and pastor where you're going with all this. I'm just simply saying that every generation has to learn that if we want blessing in our life as a child, it comes down to obedience to the parents. Now, again, not if it's immoral or something that's against scripture. No, it just has the idea of I'm going to submit to my parents and obey my parents just like I would the Lord. And Paul told them, uh, hey, God desires to bless this. He desires to bless your life and It starts with obedience to your parents. The second thing he says is to honor your parents. That phrase honor, it means to to place value upon and to respect. Can I tell you this morning that this also, I believe, applies to every single person in life for life. Now, obedience, we understand that obedience in the home has to do with when you are in their home. And there's some families that you'll say, man, when we, you know, when we got married, my mom and dad, they were telling us one thing and we knew that wasn't what God wanted. We had to kind of make our own path. Okay, that obedience, that obedience kind of shifts with the friendship uh, manner when those kids get older and you get older and your kids get older, but the honoring doesn't. 
We should always desire to show value to our parents. You say, well, pastor, you don't know my dad. You didn't know my mom. You're right. You're right. But I do know, I do know that God says if you would honor, if you would, don't always just speak harshly about them. You say, well, pastor, genuinely, you don't know what they did to me. That's another matter for forgiveness. We hit a message on that a few weeks ago, and we can talk through that again. But right now, the idea is honoring. And I, I hope that we would honor our parents, show respect to them and value to them. It doesn't mean if your parents have hurt you and you have that rough relationship, again, it doesn't mean they're allowed into that sphere of influence again, but it just means I'm not going to go around talking trash about them all the time. Well, my old man, my old lady, well, I tell you what, they did this and they did. No, it's just, if they come up in topic, it's, well, you know what? If you had great parents, you're able to honor them a little easier. If you didn't have great parents, you, you know, you have to kind of hit a point where you just say, well, you know what, God allowed me to go through some trials, but, but I'm thankful that, and find something to be thankful for. I'm thankful they provided for me. What do you do? I'm just trying to find a way to show honor. Does that make sense this morning? And again, I think that all of us, we have to recognize the blessing in this. Paul said that if this happens, there's going to be long life. It doesn't mean that everybody that didn't honor their parents or uh, had, had uh, or that didn't honor their parents died a short life. No, not only does it talk about a long life, it's a fulfilled life. God promises a fulfilled life as we obey and honor our parents. But then God doesn't only instruct in the marriage and with kids and parents. He also instructs with parents and kids. What does he say? Parents or fathers provoke not your children. Do you see it there in verse number four? You fathers, provoke not your children unto wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Again, while this is written specifically to the father, we can understand that both parents can provoke. What does that mean? It means to stir up or to excite or to uh, uh, um, uh, stimulate anger, anger and discouragement. Some of you might say, well, that better describes my parenting. Okay, well then break the trend. Well, then break, the, break the, uh, the system that's gone through the family. Provoke not your children. Well, what does this mean? It has to do with causing anger, causing discouragement in your kids. Can I give you very briefly this morning a few ways that we all can anger, provoke anger in our children? Parents, listen to these. I think all too often we can provoke anger through overprotection. Overprotection is the fact that we never trust kids. It's always rules, always, you better do this, always, always commands. Overprotection can cause anger, so can the lack of protection. Total freedom. You can irritate a child by not having any boundaries. You say, well, pastor, where's the balance? That's a tough one, isn't it? Because <laughs> every family is different. We'll cover it in just a second. Favoritism can, can provoke your kids, meaning you constantly compare one child with another. Well, if you were just like depreciating their worth, uh, not listening to them or ever giving them uh, the option, especially older kids, hey, as your teens uh, get older, you should be able to say, hey, what do you think about this? And well, they're gonna give me some stupid decision. That's okay. Let them, let them give that to you, and then you can say, well, let, let's use this as a teaching moment, depreciating their worth, discouragement, giving no, uh, never honoring them, never speaking encouraging words to them. You can provoke anger by no affection, never, never putting your arm around them or hugging them, never telling them you love them. 
Provoke anger by no provision, not really providing for them uh, in the sense of uh, always, you know, as they get older, it's kind of this mindset of, well, you're on your own, kid. I got a job when I was 16. You get a job too. And not never having the mindset of, well, I'm, I'm going to make you work for some things, but you still live in my house. I'm still going to buy you food. I'm still going to provide for you. Criticism can cause anger. A well-known children's doctor said this years ago, the child who lives with criticism does not learn responsibility. He learns only to condemn himself and find fault with others. He learns to doubt his own judgment, disparage his own ability, and distrust everybody in his life. Above all, he learns to live with continual expectation of impending doom. That can be caused because of a critical parent, neglect, over-discipline, inconsistencies, What are these? These are all things that cause, can provoke a child to anger. And so you say, well, pastor, again, where is the balance? How do we draw the line? How do we know? Well, that goes back to that single decision. Hey, parents, one of the best decisions you can make in life is every day saying, God, help me lead my family today. God, help me, help me to know your word and apply your word into my family. Because what can God do? He can radically transform your family. Does it mean every day will be perfect? No, no, but it does mean that God will bring fulfillment into your life. It does mean that God will use you to accomplish his purpose. It means that God will bring into your life the family that he desires. I don't know about you, but I want God's help with my family. And I've got some stubborn teenagers. And they've got a stubborn daddy. <laughs> now, you know what? I'm so thankful for my kids and I'm blessed with them. But I, can I just be honest with you? I don't want to mess it up. And if Dennis, if Dennis Fountain makes the decisions, he's going to mess it up. So what should my decision be? The single decision every day, God help me today. When I do that, you know what happens? He radically changes my family. He radically changes my marriage. And lastly today, he radically changes my service. Notice the verses, Ephesians chapter six, verse five, down through verse number nine. Servants, be be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with goodwill, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And you masters do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. Now, real quick this morning, of course, the language in this passage is a little bit different than we would use today, and the Greek wording even is different than we would be accustomed to because they had a different culture. As Paul writes to the believers in Ephesus, we need to know today that the the church at Ephesus, they had slaves that were a part of the church and slave owners. That was uh, huge amongst the Romans, and we know that from that culture. I mean, literally, at that time, I think it's estimated that there were uh, somewhere near, uh, um, I think the, the statistic is like 2 million uh, slaves at this time in, in Rome. You could look it up and find the number later, but slavery was a huge deal, and slave masters were we're still in control of a lot of things. And you know what happened is that people were coming to know Christ as Savior. 
Slaves were getting saved, were trusting Jesus, and slave masters were trusting Jesus. And so Paul writes to them, hey, if you're a servant, if you're a slave, serve like you would the Lord. If you're a master, lead like you would if you were the Lord. And even though the language is a little bit different and we don't have slavery and slave masters and all of that type of stuff, we can understand great application from this because everybody in here serves in some capacity. Whether you're an employee, you have a job, you're like a servant. If you're an employer, you're like a servant to your customers, but then you're also like a master, a, a, a boss to those that serve for you. If, if you're retired, you still probably serve your family or uh, maybe at church. And so there's a great application that we can all learn from this. And simply put, here's what Paul is saying. As you serve, whatever capacity you serve in, serve as if you were serving the Lord. If you were retired, then you serve as if you were serving God, as, as if God was still your boss, even though you're retired, you don't have anything. You get up every day and you serve God. If you have a job and you work for whoever, you wake up every day and you serve them with the mindset, I'm going to go in today and I'm going to serve my boss, even though he's a jerk. Even though I don't have the best boss ever. My staff says that to me all the time. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, even, though, even though he may, he may uh, lead in a, in, a, in a way that, you know what, I'm thinking I wouldn't lead the company that way. I'm still going to have a submissive spirit. You see, it all comes back to verse 21 of chapter number five, defer, deference. And it has this mindset of I'm going to serve him just like I would Jesus. If I am the boss, I'm going to lead my team just like I would if Jesus worked for me. Just like I would if, if I really wasn't the boss and I was getting phone calls every day from the Lord telling me how to lead, that's how I'm going to lead. So servants serve with singleness of heart, focused on the Lord. That's what he's writing about. Masters serve with humility. Masters serve with no respecter of persons and understand that God, he's going to lead your life and you want to lead others the way that God leads you. I'm so thankful that God doesn't deal with me sometimes the way I deal with other people. Aren't you thankful that God doesn't lash out at you sometimes like you do with a coworker? Hey, you know what? I should look at every relationship, no matter how I, no matter what my uh, position is, no matter what capacity I lead in or serve in, I should have this mindset of I'm gonna do this as unto the Lord. I'm gonna live each day as a servant of the Lord. I tell you this morning, if you're like me, then <clears throat> whenever you get the opportunity to do something fun, whenever I get the opportunity to do something I've never done or maybe that I don't get to do often, I want the full experience. So a few months ago, uh, after dad passed away in December, of, he, October is when he passed away, December, we got to go on a vacation and got to go to Florida. And uh, spent 10 days in Florida. My aunt and my uncle, they both are Disney artists. My aunt did it for 30 years. My uncle did it for 25 years, both retired. So you, you, I could name a bunch of old Disney movies, Prince and the Popper, uh, Pocahontas, Little Mermaid, uh, The Princess and the Frog, all that stuff. My aunt was an artist on all that. My aunt created, what's the alien one? Um, Lilo and Stitch. My aunt's team created Stitch. They're, they're the ones who came up with Stitch. Pretty cool. Well, needless to say, my aunt, she knows Disney World. 
When we go down there, we don't have to buy tickets. Isn't that cool? She's like, here's our passes. And I'm like, I love you. You know, saves you like $8,000 now, you know? And I remember this year, her, Aunt Lynn, Uncle Dave, we decided how we're, you know, we have to map out what days you're going to what park and all of that stuff. And, and she said, okay, now listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you guys some tips before you go because things have changed. I hadn't been to Disney in, in six or seven years. She said, Dennis, things have changed since you've been back. So I'm going to give you some tips. And so she kind of sat down with me and, and through texting over the course of the weeks planning our trip. And then when I got there, her and Dave, they sat down. They said, all right. Go to this place first, get in this line, go do, and you know what? She kind of mapped out one of our days at the most busy, at the busiest park. So, all right, we got up that morning and we went and she mapped out our day. And you know what? I experienced everything that day. It was awesome. As a matter of fact, we got to go on some of the major rides that like had lines for like four or five hours. A few of those, we got to go on two times while people were still in line just because of the way my aunt mapped the day out and helped us maneuver. Now, there were still some long lines, but I was thankful to stand in a line for two hours and not five. <laughs> and I, I got the full, we got the full experience, didn't we, Dennis? Man, we loved it. It was a great trip. We had an awesome time. But you know what I had to do? I had to make the single decision to listen to my aunt. I had to make the single decision to say, you know the park, you know the rides, you know what I should be doing. And so Aunt Lynn, I'm gonna choose to listen to you. And when I made that single decision, I experienced the full spectrum of the park that day. Can I tell you this morning that God has an incredible life experience for you? A peaceful marriage, a fulfilling home, a desirable workplace, a peace-filled life in you, God wants that for you, even in storms. You see, because life isn't perfect, right? I mean, life happens. Things take place. You know what God said? God says, well, if you will make the single decision to listen to me, if you'll make the single decision to let me lead your life, if you will choose every day to have the mindset, God, lead my marriage. God, lead my family. God, lead my words. God, help me to be the employer that you want me to be, the employee that you want me to be. If you and I every day will have that mindset, that decision to allow God to lead our life, when we make the decision to allow God to lead us, we discover the full experience that God has for us. Hey, marriage takes work. Kids, take work. Work takes work. Being a servant takes work. You know what God said? I want to help you do it. So here's my question for you for this week. Will you wake up tomorrow and make the single decision? God, I want you to lead my life today. God, I want you to lead my marriage today. God, I want to listen to your Holy Spirit within me. God, I'm going to take your word and the truths that you've given me, and I'm going to apply it into my life. Would you make the single decision, moment by moment throughout the day, God, I want to experience what you have for me, so I choose to listen to you. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. 
And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.